In the next hour, we want to put a smile on your face, elevate your endorphins, and bring you happiness. Welcome to Say Yes, Be Happy with Natalie Botros. We spend so much of our lives chasing happiness, it might just be where you least expect it to be. Natalie and her guests are going to show you how and where to find it. And now, your host, Natalie Botros. Welcome, everyone. I'm Natalie Botros, your host. Welcome to my show, Say Yes, Be Happy, where each week we find the silver lining, the happy and the positive in our lives. And each week I try to find a different subject with amazing guests. And this week I have a real life astronaut. <laughs> he is here because he dreamt about being an astronaut and he made it happen. So he said yes to life and yes to his dreams. And let me introduce you my guest. He served in the United States Air Force as a fighter pilot, test pilot, and NASA astronaut. He's one of only four astronauts to have piloted a space shuttle, flown a Russian Soyuz spacecraft, performed spacewalks, and commanded the ISS. And by the way, he spent more than seven months in space. <laughs> so shooting much of the stunning footage himself, his photography is featured in his National Geographic book, View from Above. He recently directed his first film, One More Orbit, about, this, about his Guinness World Record-breaking mission in July 2019, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing, and his latest book, How to Astronaut, the title of our show today, An Insider's Guide to Living Planet Earth, was released worldwide on September 15, 2020. Please welcome Colonel Terry Wirtz. Hello. Natalie, bonjour. It's so good to be here. Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. I'm like so <laughs> excited to have you. And I'm sure my listeners are like even more excited than I am. I keep receiving you know, all those calls and questions. But before getting to their questions, I have some questions for you. So let's start from the beginning. We know that most of the little girls and boys dream is to become an astronaut. Mm -hmm. And was it your dream too? It was, yeah. You know, the first book I ever read was about Apollo, the moon missions. And so I grew up as a boy with pictures of galaxies and nebula. And I had a space shuttle Columbia poster on my wall and I had an F-16 poster on my wall, the original 1974 F-16. So it's what I wanted to do ever since I was young. Yeah. And so how did you transform that dream into reality? So I, I'm really lucky. I mean, I, I'm one of those few people that got to do what they dreamt about when they were little. Um, as, as I grew up, you know, I, I would tell people I want to be an astronaut. And I was very lucky. I had parents that supported me. Um, it wasn't nobody in my family really knew how to become an astronaut, but they, they supported me. Um, they did things like they got me a telescope and then I had to learn how to use a telescope. Uh, they got me a computer, an old TRS-80 computer when I was young. And so I had to teach myself how to program. And by giving me these things to do and then letting me do them on my own, you know, that um, self-motivation and curiosity, I think was the key to it. And then as I grew up, everybody would always kind of smile. Oh yeah, you want to be an astronaut, but you know, you should really go be an accountant or something normal. <laughs> um, and I would always just smile and kind of ignore them. And it, even as an, even as a test pilot, I was at Edwards Air Force Base as a test pilot and everybody there wanted to be an astronaut, but um, we were young. The NASA said, we're going to have a new class and we were still students. We hadn't even graduated yet. And uh, I went ahead and applied. A lot of my classmates said, I'm not going to apply this time. I'll wait till the next time. And uh, I, long story short, I ended up getting selected and they didn't. 
And there wasn't another class for a long time because of the accident and a lot of other stuff happened. And so the lesson I learned, Natalie, is don't tell yourself no. Um, you know, if there's some dream that you have, you, you have to go for it. Uh, and you can't just say, oh, I want to be an astronaut. Like there's steps you have to take. There's hard work you have to do. You know, you need a technical degree. If you want to be a doctor, you can't just say that, you, you know, you have to study certain things. So, um, but that, that first step really is don't tell yourself no, because you know, a lot of people would roll their eyes. Oh, you're never going to be an astronaut. And the odds were super low. I didn't expect it to yeah. happen, but unless you take that first step, you're never going to get it. I know. I mean, it's why I love your message because I always say, say yes. And you say, don't say no. So, right. you know, like don't stay in your comfort zone. Try right. what do you have to lose. Worst right. comes to worst. I mean, like if you don't try, you lose anyway, you know, you fail right. anyway. So right. try. So that's yeah. really amazing. I mean, I know that today, a lot of kids, like their dream, maybe it's not always to be an astronaut, but to be an influencer on TikTok or YouTube. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but, but I was like reading the statistic, actually 86% of kids, they still dream to, about, to do something with space. So yeah. we still have hope. <laughs> Let's say Space that. is pretty cool. The TikTok thing. I mean, it's cool. <laughs> you and I both have podcasts. I mean, yeah. but you know, that's not necessarily fulfilling for a lifetime. So <laughs> there are other, <laughs> there are other much cooler things. Exactly. I agree. I totally agree. So I know that my listeners wants to know all about your seven months in space. Let's dig in and like, get like the little questions. First of all, how does the launch feel like? <laughs> So the first launch was on the space shuttle Endeavor, um, and I had been a fighter pilot and test pilot, and I thought I knew stuff. But man, when those engines lit up, that I, I remember hearing this sound, and I remember thinking, "Wow, something significant's about to happen." Because the main engines run for six plus seconds before the shuttle actually lifted off, and um, and then when you lift off, when the solid rocket motors went nighttime turned into day there were some clouds above us so all the fire was reflecting off the clouds and all of a sudden it was like it's daytime and then you're smashed against the back your back it's like laying on your, on the ground and having your friends lay on top of you uh the shuttle went up to three g's the soyuz that i flew later was probably closer to four g's so it's a lot of pressure and you can feel that like in a race car, if you slam on the brakes or slam on the gas or turn, you get, you feel maybe a two G's maybe for like one second and then it stops. But in the shuttle, it was three G's and that ride into space was eight and a half minutes. So it's a lot of pressure. You're wow. vibrating. Um, I remember looking out the window across the cockpit and I saw the moon out the left window and it was just every, the, the whole first chapter of my first book and several chapters in How to Astronaut are about that eight and a half minute ride into space. Cause it's, it's pretty just amazing. So it takes you eight and a half minute minute to, to, to start the motion or to arrive. <laughs> no, no, to arrive. So when, when you lift off, you start your stopwatch and eight and a half minutes, the engine shut down and you're floating in space. Wow. Uh, oh, it's faster at, than at orbital speed. <laughs> yeah. At, at orbital speed. Now, these space tourists. So William Shatner, you know, is going up and Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and yeah. those guys go up and just for a few minutes and they come straight back down. So they, they go a lot slower. They don't make it into orbit, but to get into orbit, it takes um, roughly eight and a half minutes. Okay. And do you need 
I mean, can anyone like go to space or you need kind of a, a training to be strong? Because I, I, I'm sure like it's so powerful, so much yeah. shaking happening. <laughs> you you want to be in pretty decent shape. Although, you know, Mr. Shatner's 90. I know. The first, they brought a lady. I think she was 89 on the last mission, um, which is fine. But there's stress on your body and, you know, you don't want to be in bad shape because, you know, your heart might stop. Or if you just get excited, you know, some people are going to be, I don't know what word you want to use, freak out or excited. If you're launching oh. on a rocket, that's going to mentally, you know, give you some stress. So I don't think you want to go into space unless you're in pretty decent shape. <laughs> I yeah. that's, my, that's, <laughs> my, that's my advice anyway. Yeah, no, of course. So you arrive to space. You're like eight uh, eight minutes after you're there. How yeah. does it feel? I mean, you live like all that long. How do you feel physically? Let's yeah. talk about, you know, like the weightless life, <laughs> the challenges. So weightlessness is awesome. It's something that you can experience on earth. You can jump off a diving board and you have about a second before you hit the water. If you're in an airplane, you can push forward. If you're going fast, you can get a few seconds of weightlessness, but then it ends. Um, and in space, when they shut the engines down, it doesn't end until, for my case, two weeks later, or on my second flight, 200 days later. Um, and that requires your brain to figure out what's going on. Our, our brains have three, the neurovestibular system that, ke- that gives you balance has three inputs. One of them is visual. You look out, I can see there's the roof and there's the ground, and that's telling my brain which way's up. Another one is called somatosensory. So I can feel that I'm sitting in a chair, right? So I feel that pressure. So that's telling my brain which way's up and which way's down. And the third one are these semicircular canals in your ears. And they're, they're three perpendicular canals and they have fluid and hair and they, and you can close your eyes. I can't see anything, but I can still tell that I'm pitching my head and rolling and yawing. It's funny, the space shuttle on the F-16 a lot of airplanes have the same system. We're designed the same with rate gyro sensors. Anyway, in space, that system doesn't work, the, those semicircular canals, because there's no, in the somatocentric, you can't feel pressure when you, you on your butt. You know, when you sit down on a chair, your butt can't tell which way is down. Yeah. <laughs> so your brain is really confused because the vision is telling it one thing and these other things are sending in confused signals. So, man, I had the worst headache of my life my first two days in space. I could barely, I could only move like about that fast. I couldn't move my head fast. It was terrible. Like I, f- I felt really awful. And a, a lot of people don't feel great. Um, and then on the third morning, it was like a light switch went on and my brain figured it out. So somehow the neurons were rewiring themselves yeah. and they just figured out weightlessness. Um, and then after that, for the rest of my shuttle flight and f- four or five years later, I went back on the Soyuz and on day one, I felt fine. So something about my brain learned weightlessness, which is a pretty cool process to go through. Yeah, to do the switch. It's like, yeah. well, we adapt to mo- almost everything. So actually, I guess like your brain adapted to the situation and then like it's the yeah. memory of the brain afterwards. So, yeah. okay, but how is it like to eat, to sleep, to, you know? Yeah. Oh, there's a <laughs> whole- activities. There, there's like chapter after chapter, you know, in the book. Um, yeah. So sleeping is awesome. Uh I did this experiment before there was Fitbits, NASA, they called it an ActaWatch. You had to wear this watch and these temperature sensors and they monitored like how well you slept 
on earth. And then they monitor how well I slept in space. And on earth, I was kind of up and down and I'd wake and toss and turn. But in space, I was just flatline. I was kind of worried. I didn't know if I'd be able to sleep in space, but I, you know, we were so tired. The, the days on that shuttle flight were so busy. I mean, it was literally every minute you're working. And even though you're not like running, there's no gravity, but you're just working. And so I slept really well. And you can, the beauty of being in space, you know, you can take your sleeping bag and put it on the wall or on the ceiling. It doesn't matter. Um, I, but I would wear like blinders or whatever, you know, to cover my eyes, which I don't do on earth, but in space, you needed that because the lights are on and stuff. So sleeping is really good. Um, eating, you were asked about eating. Um, eating was actually fun in space. It's not, you know, fresh food. It's, it's kind of like military rations. They call them MREs in the U S military. Um, they're just green bags of food, meat, vegetables, soup, dessert, whatever. You can just rip it open and eat it. Um, or there's some dehydrated food where it's like a plastic container. You plug it in, put some water in it, smash it around, wait about 15 minutes and um, it turns into food. So wait, you <laughs> so plug it in? <laughs> you plug it into a machine, you dial how many milliliters, it's oh, 25, okay. 50, 75, so cool. 100 milliliters, hit the button. You, there's, amb- it's not, it says cold, it's really ambient or hot. Yeah. So if you want hot, if it's soup, you put in hot water. If it's strawberries, you put in cold water and, and you smash it. I would spin it around a centrifuge to get the water pushed against the side. And then it takes about 10 or 15 minutes and then it turns into food. Wow. So it's kind of a uh, water diet, liquid diet. You lose, do you lose weight when you come back? <laughs> I, so you lose weight as soon as you get into space, a lot of your fluid, like right now, there's a lot of fluid in our legs. Everybody's of course, yeah. in space, that fluid kind of, and that's why astronauts faces get puffy and their skin is kind of pulled yeah. back. Um, and, and you, and you basically, you pee out all that fluid. The first couple of days in space, you have to pee a lot to get rid of all the fluid. It so must before, be weird. <laughs> but, and I lost probably a kilo a month. Um, but a lot of it that you're eating healthy food, it's, there's no McDonald's, you know, uh, and you're working out two and a half hours a day on the space station. So it's kind of like, I came back in really good shape. I had little skinny legs, chicken legs, but my upper body was in really good shape from all the weightlifting I did. So I, that was, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Probably I was going to ask, so the workout, it's like the by weightlifting. So we have three machines, basically there's a bike, um, that you clip your, uh, you, like bike shoes, right? You clip them in yeah. and, and there's no seat and there's no handlebar. You literally could just pedal. Um, and we put some camera brackets as like to have something to hold on to. Uh, there's a treadmill that you wear a shoulder harness that pulls you down to the, oh. to the treadmill. So I got up to 130, I think pounds. So it was, I, I, it was about 70% of my body weight. And then um, there's a weightlifting machine and it's uses vacuum tubes. So you're not actually lifting big weights. There's a vacuum tube, like a piston, and that's what generates the force, but you can generate a lot of force with that thing. I think probably 250 plus kilos of force. So any exercise you do in the gym here, bench press, deadlifts, squats, you can do in space. And those things are really important. Before I launched, I had a DEXA scan, which is this big full body x-ray. And then after I landed, they did it again. 
And I actually lost 0.0% of my total body or bone density um, because but your bones get frail in space. And that was that kind of shocked me and the shock the scientists. But the bottom line is doing all that exercise in space. It helps. Plus, I took vitamin D. I took a vitamin D tablet every day because on Earth you get vitamin D from the sun and you don't get that in space because you're in a can. Of course. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) no sun. To, you know, exercise and vitamin D, and I came back in great shape. That's amazing. Uh, we already have a caller, Neil from New York. Let's have him. Hi, Neil. Hi, Neil. Hi, hi, hi Terry. How are you? Um, Doing good. Yeah. I, um, yeah, so I was going to ask, uh, you know, since there's been a lot of recent disclosure uh, around UFOs, et cetera. I'm not going to get into the UFO part, but I'm more curious more around um, the reverse engineering um, and like the black ops kind of stuff. Um, and I know you, you're also an Air Force pilot. Is, is that right? I am. I, well, I was. <laughs> I was an F-16 pilot okay. and then a test pilot, yeah. Okay. So I, I guess my, my question here is, is that, you know, do you do you think that they're actually building like a? I mean, there there's supposed to be some new technology coming from all of this. Um, have you ever heard of anything, or or have you seen anything that would lead you believe that you know the United States is is creating a, a more of a a, a higher design uh, military uh, vehicle? Well, so I like I said, I was an F sixteen pilot and. Um, there have been some interesting things that have come out. The New York times had that video. Um, I've actually had a few folks on my podcast called Natalie and I were talking about this before down to earth with Terry Verts. And those episodes have been super popular with Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo and others. Um, But I don't know of anything that we're reverse engineering or anything like that. The uh, I, I, I just did an event for an F-35 graduation, and that is an incredible airplane. Like, it's amazing how, how good that airplane is. Uh, but I don't think it's reverse engineered from alien spaceships. I think it's just <laughs> folks at Lockheed have spent some really good work, you know, developing it. Well, I don't know anything about that specifically, but, it, you know. Okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but it's an interesting that's, topic. That, that, that's fine. Yeah, no, that, that's fine. Um, how about, like, around, like, a like the stealth fighter, um, you know, have you, did you ever get a chance to actually see it or, or did you, did you ever get a chance to, to fly it or, or, or it's, you know, yeah. I, I think I'm more curious on, on the difference between a regular fighter pot, uh, you know, a fighter and uh, right. I guess the stealth fighter. Well, I, I never, the stealth fighter, the F-117, I never actually flew that. Actually, Natalie, I was in France when that got announced, we were talking about my ah. French Air Force Academy. Exactly. So I've, I've seen it. I've been up close that, you know, they use um, angles. So they change the angles of the wings and the engine inlets and stuff so that the airplane reflects the radar and not back at the radar, but in a different direction. And they have special radar absorbent material, which is not foam, but it's this kind of a rubbery stuff that so some of the radar energy gets absorbed in the airplane and some of it gets bounced off in different direction. Um, but yeah, I don't think that came from aliens. I think it just came from, you know, smart engineering. <laughs> right, right. No, I agree. And just, just to add on it, I, I'm not really 
interested more in the scalp. I guess I was more interested in like the difference. I, I hear that there's a little bit difference to be able to to fly that that fighter as compared to yeah. you know, compared to a regular fighter. Um, well, they say yeah. that the, the, the technology is a lot harder or uh, something yeah. like that. The the thing about this the F one seventeen specifically, like as a fighter pilot, it I never really wanted to do that because their their missions were kind of vanilla. They would just fly in a straight line. You don't want to be maneuvering a lot. So from the fighter pilot's point of view, it was a lot more fun to fly an F sixteen because your job was to there was a lot of maneuvering and manual flying. Whereas if you're just going in on a stealth run, you kind of want to go in a straight direction and not not engage anybody else so from the pilot's perspective it was more fun the f-16 was a lot more fun of an airplane i think at least talking to my buddies who flew the stealth but it's a it's a great capability to have if you ever knock on wood have to have to use it so interesting yeah okay thank, well thank you very much i appreciate it you're Thanks. not asking the real question that you have <laughs> Now, you can ask, ask it, question. Question. Yeah. 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 Yes, ask it. I'm not going to get into the. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to get into the UFO question. I, you know, I believe I was trying to find out in a different kind of way because I believe in the reverse technology and and, and all of that, um, as opposed to the UFO itself. Um, but thank you, thank you, thank you, Neil. So I think we can continue by asking someone who was like asking about the aliens. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I have a chapter about that and how to astronaut. So first of all, there's been some really interesting, you know, videos that have come out and there's some data out there that are, it's hard to explain. That's why I had guys on my, on the podcast. That's why I had, you know, Chris and Lou on down to earth with Terry Verts. Um, there's so many planets out there and we've had several satellites that are planet hunters. They're, they're finding planets around other stars way out in the galaxy um, that you'd think that there's life, right? There's, if there's life here, there's, and there's billions of there planets, be. yeah. you'd think there's life other, other places. But when you look at life and I had a, when I was in space, I had a chance to do a lot of ultrasounds on my brain and my heart. And when you just look how complicated life is, um, and I, I, you know, one single cell of life has somewhere between millions and trillions of molecules in it. And I just don't think those molecules would just randomly assemble themselves and turn into a mouse or a bird or whatever. So I think if there is life, I think somebody has to get it started at least. And I say that from a scientific point of view, not from a, I'm a Christian, but I'm, I'm not saying that from a religious point of view. I'm just saying scientifically. So even though there's all these planets, I don't think life would just happen without somebody starting it. But even, even if there is life out there, those planets are really, 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 really far away. You know, a light year is a long way away and the nearest star is four, four light years away. And that's a triple system. So there's probably not any planets there. In fact, I think the most popular book or one of the most popular books on earth um, is a Chinese science fiction book by Xixin Liu called The Three-Body Problem. And it's about life on at that Alpha Proxima Centauri, the nearest star. And because there's three stars, the, the planets go from super hot melting to cold. And it's interesting how he talks about that. But at the, the bottom line is you know, those things are a long way away. So the odds of being able to fly there are basically zero. I think the fastest object we've ever sent out was Voyager. Um, 
and it's not nearly big enough to hold one person, you know, much less a crew or a, a colony. And if, if it just went at the current speed straight to Alpha Centauri, it would take like 70,000 years. Um, and of course, it would be wow. slowing down the whole way. So it would take longer than that. And anyway, yeah. Right. So, that's, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. So you that's haven't seen any of generations. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I hope this answered the that, people who are like, curious answer. about aliens. No, no, but I mean, like, you know, like people are like curious. Actually, we have another caller, Natalie from Turkey, who's calling us. Hi, Natalie. Wow. Hello. Can you Hello. hear me? Hello. Yes. Good Natalie. evening, Natalie. Good evening, Terry. Natalie, I love your show. Really Thank enjoy you so listening much. to your to your show. We miss you. <laughs> uh, good evening, uh, Colonel Vert. Uh, this is Natalie from Turkey. I have a question for you. Hello? Yes, yeah, yes, we're uh, listening. We're ready. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to, to be talking to you. Uh, I have a question for you. Uh, a few months ago, we saw uh, a lot of satellites uh, going through the night sky uh, here in Bodrum. And uh, I looked on Internet, and it was uh, about the space uh, program that Elon Musk is, is doing. And there were, like, uh, hundreds of satellites in a row can you actually see them uh, from where you are in space? Or do you see how crowded it is with all the satellites around the Earth? You can, that's a great, that's a really important question, actually. So you can see satellites from the International Space Station. Um, you just see a little white dot moving. It has to be in the right mm -hmm. situation where it can't be in the middle of the day because then it's so bright, your eyes won't notice it. Just like why you can't see stars during the day. Um, right. But it can't be in the middle of the night because the satellite will be in the shade and the sun won't be shining on it. So it has to be kind of dawn or dusk and you can see satellites. Mm -hmm. And I, I did a lot of time-lapse uh, um, videos. And so a lot of times I wouldn't see it with my eye and I'd watch the video and I'd see it on the camera afterwards watching the playback and, that was always like, wow, there's a lot of satellites out there. The problem with mm -hmm. Starlink and, and Elon Musk, and there's also other companies that want to do this. I think Blue Origin wants to do it. I think Airbus wants to do it. There's several companies that want to put up tens of thousands of small satellites in low Earth orbit. Yeah. And they're going to yeah. provide internet access around the world, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The problem is they're creating giant clouds of thousands and thousands of satellites, which will turn into space debris. Um, oh, in the yeah. long run. Yes. And, and those yes. satellites will never come down. Um, I actually had a guy named Hero Verde on my podcast a few weeks ago, and we talked about this problem. We're basically creating a mess in space that will be there for centuries. Oh. So pe people in the year 2300 and 2400 are going to be really mad at us for making that mess up in Earth orbit, which is what we're doing now. Oh no! There were there were like a hundreds of them. If they went in yeah. a row, and we thought, what are these? We thought they were night planes, yeah. and then right. eventually we knew it was the Elon Musk project. And there there's already like a hundred in a row going through uh, around the Earth. Yeah, so it was quite impressive, but uh, I didn't know how messy it was up there. So it it's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Natalie, for the question. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your answer. Thank you. 
Okay. Have Bye-bye. a good evening in Turkey. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Terry. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're Bye. welcome. Bye-bye. So, Bye. So we're about to take our first break. Uh, I'm talking with Colonel Terry Wirtz, a real life astronaut. So if you have any questions, send them in or call us live and we'll be back just after the break. Bye for now. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is something missing from your life and you can't define what it is? Are you someone who seems to have it all yet are missing the most important thing to be happy? The Hungry for Happy online course may just be what you need now. Natalie Botros has created this course for you to find happiness, regardless of your body issues and or relationship status. Take the online questionnaire now to find out if this is a good match for you at thebond-vivantgirl.com and click Happiness Course. Whatever your budget, Natalie, the happiness fairy, has set up plans to help everyone find their happiness. Get a preview of the curriculum before you take the happiness plunge. Visit the bond-vivantgirl.com and click happiness course. In Natalie's own words, What do you have to lose? Say yes. Be happy. The Hungry for Happy online course is waiting for you now at the bond-vivantgirl.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Say Yes, Be Happy. To reach our show today, we invite you to phone in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to bvg at thebond-vivantgirl.com. Now, back to Say Yes, Be Happy. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Natalie Botris, your host, and I'm talking with Terry, Colonel Terry Ritz, who has been to space several times and actually spent more than seven months in total in space. So he's answering all our questions. And we, just before the break, we discussed about the, the challenges to be in space, the physical challenges. And actually, I would like to know if there were any mental challenges to be there, you know, <laughs> because it must be like kind of a different environment for you. That's a great question. That's actually the most important question. And when we are hiring astronauts, the last thing I did when I retired from NASA about five years ago, we were getting ready to hire a class. And I always look for um, the mental aspect there's a lot of technically competent people. There's a lot of smart engineers and good fighter pilots and stuff. Um, but it's that ability to get along with other people and be stuck in a tin can for months. And, yeah. you know, when things go bad, you don't want to freak out. In Hollywood, the astronauts are always yelling and screaming. And, ah! 
but that's not the guy you want to be in space with, right? You want somebody who's going to be calm and not freak out too much when something goes wrong. So that aspect is, is a big deal. And actually during um, my last space flight, uh, a few months into it, well, before we launched the uh, cargo ship blew up a few months into it, another cargo ship blew up. And then a few months later, a SpaceX cargo ship blew up. So NASA lost three, well, this ISS lost three spaceships in eight months. It was a bad time. And when the middle one blew up, the Russian progress, they decided to delay our replacement crew because they launched on the same rocket and they wanted to do the safety investigation to make sure that the same problem wasn't gonna happen to the crew. And when they delayed our replacement crew, they delayed our return to earth. So they basically said, Hey guys, you're stuck in space and we don't know how long it's going to be. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. And so, you know, we were ready to come home. We had plans for the summer. We had families and anyway, it was, it was a mentally that could have been a challenging time. And there's been a few times where, you know, astronauts get told, Hey, you're going to be delayed. And a lot of times they struggle and they're like, ah, oh, I'm ready to go, but our crew handled it really well. And it was because of our attitude and my, and the attitude was we've got the rest of our lives on earth. Let's just make the most of it while we're here in space. And that was, that was something that really got us through. It was ironic. It was a lot like being stuck in COVID last year. I actually wrote about this. I did a lot of interviews and videos mm -hmm. about it. Um, the, that experience of getting stuck in space, low on supplies, you don't know when it's going to end. In a lot of ways, it was similar to what we went through with COVID. Yeah, that's that stress I can imagine. And once that all this is over, you come down to earth. I'm sure you have challenges too, because like after, I mean, for you, for example, one of your missions, you stayed um, how long? 200 days yeah. orbiting and then coming back like without gravity, <laughs> weightless. Yeah. And then coming back and then like being able to walk, like that must be a big adjustment, right? It was. Um, the <laughs> So there's a couple things that you feel when you come back from space. One is heavy. You feel very heavy. I remember I was the last guy out of the shuttle and uh, they came in. They said, hey, Terry, it's time to get out. So I grabbed my helmet and I was like, oh, be careful. This thing weighs 500 pounds. Um but then I was sitting in a seat. Once you get out of the seat and you're walking around, it's like, man, the walls are spinning. You're dizzy. Uh, it is not easy to, you know, just the yeah. dizziness. I, I was, I wanted somebody next to me. I, I never fell, but I kind of felt like I might. So I always wanted a handrail or somebody next to me. Um, and then you, you feel like you were just in space. So I tell this story. I, I, I got back to earth. We, we went to the doctors, did our medical tests, got reunited with my family, shut the space shuttle down. I was finally back in my room three or four hours later. So I sat down on the bed and I turned on the TV, turned on CNN and the talking head was like, blah, 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 talking about whatever gossip there was in 2010. And it was like fingernails on a chalkboard. I literally had to turn the TV off. Um, within 30 seconds. And I, cause I remember thinking that's so meaningless. Why are we filling our brains with all this noise? I was just in outer space, you know, looking at the beautiful planet below. Yeah. Um, thinking all these thoughts about world peace. And then I come down and they're talking about blah, 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 blah. And so there's a lot of noise that comes in through these things, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Phones so, yeah. and like all the, yeah, all the electronics that we use and the kids use unfortunately and, more and more. 
Instagram and whatever, Twitter, <laughs> you know, they, some of those are just hate channels. And so um, <laughs> it, it really struck me how we need to figure out and you need to be connected. I, I get that, but you need to figure out how to filter out the noise and uh, use all, use all that tech wisely. Yeah, no, I agree. But I had like someone uh, sending me a question about this before. Do you get like kind of a awakening lightning when you're in space? Because like you're surrounded just by beauty, basically, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you have know, this calm, I presume now. Yeah, I got I got to film a movie. The best thing I did during my career, 16 years at NASA was film an IMAX movie called A Beautiful Planet. Um, and that's what kind of got me the filmmaking bug. But um, it really, it's a well-named movie. It's a beautiful planet. And to be in outer space, looking back and go, hey, there's my planet over there and I'm not on it. That was a pretty emotionally profound moment. I can't um, imagine. And also to look out into the galaxy at nighttime, turn all the lights off, let your eyes adjust, look away from Earth. And man, there's a lot of stars in our galaxy. It's pretty awesome. So that perspective for me. And I, I remember thinking, man, that planet's been around for a billion years. It's going to be around for a billion more or more. Um, you just don't need to get too uptight about things. Yeah. It, after seeing earth, it's hard to get impressed. I think. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's certainly I like celebrity doesn't impress me. I'm impressed by talent and the amazing things people do and people developing malaria vaccines or whatever, you know, I'm impressed by those kind of things, but not by celebrity, which is kind of what we worship now. And exactly. Unfortunately. Yeah, yes. It's not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess like, so can we say that you felt like a spiritual experience out of this? Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm a Christian and I, that didn't change things. Although I think I'm a lot less black and white, you know, it was easy before to go that whatever, everything was black and white. And I'm not like that at all. I have very open views about most things. There's some things that are just wrong and there's no, there's no, you know, two ways to look at it, but about most things, there's, there's multiple opinions and it's hard. Like when it comes to politics, it's, it's, I'm not ideological at all. I, I just want to do the right thing. Let's figure out how to do things smartly. And uh, unfortunately our, you know, in America, of course, we're, we have a real problem with division. Yeah. Um, and I think if we, we, my Twitter, <laughs> I changed my, my Twitter hand or whatever homepage a couple years ago, it said in God, I trust everybody else has to bring data. And the, the point of that was let's not, I don't want to be ideological about something. I just want to be smart about making decisions and do things that make sense. And not just because, you know, I have an ideology one way or another. That's something yeah. that we need to figure out how to fix this because it's kind of tearing us apart. Of course. No, I totally agree. And I think you're like, you're trying to spread that message actually right now to mm -hmm. through your talks, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, it seems like in the world, there's kind of, there's two different paths. One of them is, you know, authoritarian 1984, big brother. And the other one is democracy, freedom, whatever. And we, we need, you know, we're going to go in one way or the other. And I think human life, you know, it's life is much better for humans when you pick the one direction and not the other. So we need to figure out those are kind of the big, you know, not serious questions that we need to get right. Um, because if we don't, you know, the world goes in a different direction and we've seen the world go in the wrong direction 
last century. Um, and just because we fixed it once doesn't mean it won't happen again. We need to make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah. And I think it's scary that even with COVID, like where the whole world lived the same experience, mm -hmm. people are still not in peace. Like it's still like not, we, <laughs> it, we it, it's scary. We missed such an opportunity during COVID. That was a chance for us all to come together and, hey, let's work to fix this thing together rather than blaming. And it, that was a massively missed opportunity in 2020 for, for countries yeah. to work together. Yeah, it's sad. So let's go back to our questions. You come Let, back let's to do Earth. Yeah, yeah, physically, we you, there is a challenge. But mentally, I want you to talk about the space brain. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something we talk about at NASA. Yeah. Um, and it's true in, in the air, you know, we used to say same thing, flying jets, that your IQ drops by a half. You know, so once you strap into the seat, your IQ is half of what it was before. Because you're in an environment that's confusing, it's, uh, you know, you're disoriented, you're focused on certain things. You just can't think as, as much as you could before. It's kind of like on Earth. If there's a crying baby, your brain is not going to work because you're, you're flustered and what are you is what's happening here? Um, you get like that in space. And I think in part, it's because you're weightless. And so your brain is trying to figure out how to deal with floating. Um, in part, it's because of carbon dioxide. The atmosphere on the space station, I think, has 30 times as much carbon dioxide in it as we do down here on Earth. And CO2 makes you there's a, I wrote a chapter about how to. Yeah, tell your CO2 symptoms. Yeah. Um, it, it makes, it just makes you confused and kind of cranky and it's not fun. And, you know, for 200 days. Um, and then there's just other things. I remember I stuck my head, I had to get some parts out for a Russian piece of equipment and it was a big, like the size of a dishwasher full of parts and they were all written in Russia and they all looked the same. And I, I felt like I spent hours trying to find this one part. My brain just shut down. So this idea of space brain where, I mean, you can function, you can work, but it, not as well as you could in a normal situation is very real. Um, I did a, a payload called, I think it was cognition, where every month I had to do this like mental function test. It was memory and how, how fast that I react. And it was, it was like a psychologist test on your brain. How well is it working? Um, and they, they don't work as well in space as they do on earth. But you get used to it. I think with experience, you can overcome it. But the space brain is a real thing. Yeah. I mean, talking about space brain and bo your book, How to Astronaut, an insider's guide to living planet Earth. I think we should talk a little bit about the book. I know that everybody wants to know about your opinion on space tourism, but <laughs> they should know about this book, which is like yeah. quite an amazing book. And... Can we like just dig in a little bit? So how, it, yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. So how to astronaut. Um, I, well, I came up with the idea a couple of years ago, but I basically wanted to write a book that would be fun and accessible to everybody. I didn't want to write another memoir. This is not a memoir. Um, I didn't want to write, cause there's been a hundred of those written. Um, and I didn't want to write like a space nerd technical book. So I wrote it in short chapters. I think there's 51 chapters in here. Um, they're all, you know, five to 10 minute reads. They're not 50 page chapters. They're usually three, four, five pages. And it's about some topics that you would think of, like how do you handle emergencies in the space shuttle? 
a bunch of how do you do spacewalk chapters? How do you eat in space? How do you sleep in space? How do you go to the bathroom in space? So stuff you'd expect. Yeah. Um, I also wrote some chapters that you wouldn't necessarily expect on um, are there aliens? Uh, what do you do with a dead body if your crewmate dies? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> how to time travel? You know, there's a, there's a few fun. Uh, I have to look through the list of things. But the goal was for you to um, laugh and say, wow, those were kind of my two objectives. And yeah. also for it to be for anybody, like not men, women, young, old, whatever. I, I didn't want to write just a space crowd niche book. That was the goal. I think it's an easy read and it's like, it's very informative, you know, like that's like, the, that's what I love about it. And okay. So let's, because I keep getting the questions about space tourism. Let's <laughs> talk. Listen, I wrote, by the way, when I started it, I didn't have that, but right at the end, the pub, the publisher was like, Hey, we need a chapter on space tourism. So I, I cranked that out <laughs> in a day. To, yeah. yeah. So what are your thoughts about space tourism? <laughs> Well, I think it's here. I think it's, you know, it's been a long time coming. Um, uh, I think it would, it's a fun thing. I'm glad that more people are getting to go. There's really two types. There's the Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin go up and down. And then you get a few minutes of weightlessness and you come right back down. The SpaceX space tourism is much different because they're actually sending people in a capsule into orbit. And that's an entirely different um, experience. And, and they're actually going to send people to the International Space Station. There's a company called Axiom that is uh, going to buy SpaceX capsules and send private paying people to the International Space Station. The Russians, just my crewmate, Anton Shkaplerov, whom I flew with, just launched last week with a Russian director and actress. They're going to make a movie on the space station, which is pretty cool. I always said, you know, I'm done flying in space, but if I could go make a movie there, I'd go do that. Um, that would be fun. <laughs> yeah. Cause I love directing and filmmaking. So anyway, um, I, I think in general, it's a good thing. The more people who see space, that's good. I think that um, rich people spending money to do this, uh, pays for a lot of middle-class engineer jobs and, you know, SpaceX and Blue Origin employees um, appreciate having that work. And then the work that they're doing is going to also apply to bigger rockets, um, satellites that go into orbit and so on. So the, the money that gets spent on the space tourism helps those companies fund bigger and more important projects. So I think it's a good thing. The bottom line is it's not a hundred percent safe. And the, I yeah. worry, I worry that people kind of get lulled into this. Well, it worked once it'll work again. And there's a lot of risk with all of these things. Um, and they don't necessarily come out in the public as often as you would want. So that that's the one thing you ha if you're going to go fly in space, enjoy it. If I hadn't done it, I would want to do it myself, but you have to have your eyes wide open. This is not United Airlines from London, New York, you know, this is, uh, it's a whole nother level of risk. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's risky. I wouldn't go, even if you offer me, <laughs> not that anyone is offering me, but you know, right. I think right. it's risky, but anyway. So you could do the podcast from space. Imagine we can do it together. <laughs> we could do it. Yeah. We could go up there and film it in space. Oh my God. Like we will float. Yeah. I'll <laughs> give you, so cool. I'll give you some lessons. Yeah. Oh yeah. I like that. Let's That'll do that. Yeah. Okay. We're going to space. <laughs> so, but in space, you didn't just 
stay there, worked out. You did something amazing. You took a lot of pictures. <laughs> and I know that you took more than 300,000 pictures and you yeah. made a book out of it. I did. Yeah. The book is like View from Above. Uh, actually, mm -hmm. your foreword was written by, by Buzz Aldrin. Yeah. And tell us about it. Like how were you always a fan, fan of photography or you said, yeah. oh, you're just so beautiful. I have to take pictures. No, I, you know, growing up, I had a camera. My, my parents got me a camera. So it was, you had to put film in it and then send the film off and it would come uh, back two weeks later. Wait. So, but I, but I learned about aperture and shutter speed and exposure and focus and different lenses. I, I learned all that stuff, which was great. And I, I just love it. I'm, I was the kind of dad, you know, dad, stop taking pictures. Um, so I, I am a camera guy and some astronauts are like that. Uh, Don Pettit was kind of my mentor. He has a great book out called Spaceborn. It's an amazing space photography book. So I, he was kind of my example that I followed. And um, he, well, I took all these pictures in part because I love taking pictures in part because I was working on that movie, A Beautiful Planet. And a yeah. lot of them I took for that film. But when I got back and I, it, I waited about a year and I said, you know, it's time for me to leave NASA. There's other things I want to do in life. I've already done everything there is to do here. Um, and one of the first thing I did was write that book for National Geographic. Um, uh, it's also a word book. It's not just photography, but I was really, I, that was a great book. I love View from Above. Mm. How to Astronaut is more, it's words, it's stories. It's not yeah. a photography book, but the View from Above is, is stories and also photography. It must be hard among like, I think it was 359,000 pictures, like something like that. 300, and only 319. There's some, oh, poor sorry, guy, yeah. some poor guy at the Johnson Space Center had counted. Count. Yeah. But, and then you had to choose like 300 for this book. That must be challenging too. It, yes. I had a great photo editor, Kate okay. Wilson. Um, and mm. she helped me narrow it down and she did all the Photoshopping and, you know, she. That's uh, cool. Yeah. That's amazing. So mm -hmm. during the break, we were talking about your upcoming projects. You, you're going to write a book for kids. And I love that. Can we mm -hmm. talk about it? So I, I want to write a book. It was basically Ask an Astronaut 100 Questions. Uh, the title is still in work, but um, it's going to be a short uh, illustrated book. Um, we're kind of thinking 10 to 12 year old. It'll be for any anybody. Adults can look at it too. It's going to be a lot of questions that I answer, you know, one or two paragraphs with some illustrations. Um, all the questions you would have about how, how the space shuttle worked, how do you launch on rockets, what's it like to live in space, uh, about planets, about galaxies. So it's kind of a hundred question book about space for kids. But I, you know, that's what motivated me. And I just want to write something that, that kids can enjoy and have fun and get excited about space. But also read. I, I kind of I don't care what they're reading. Is it if yeah, they can they just need to read about something. And I, you know, I read as a kid. I used to love reading. I English books made my head explode. I hated them. Um, I was literally the least likely to write a book. I got C's in English class. I still apologize to my English. Whenever I have a chance, I'm sorry, Miss Herman, and I'm sorry, Miss Mitchell. I was a terrible <laughs> student. I um, and here I am, an author. Like I've got my third really fifth book done actually. Um, and I never would have expected that, but it's because I'm writing about things I care about and I'm passionate about. Uh, I wrote a screenplay. I've written a bunch of stuff and I never would have expected that as a kid. I'm actually, I'm kind of weird. Like I like the right brain and left brain, you know, I was a 
applied math major in college, but I was also a French minor as we were talking before. Yeah. Um, so I, I like the technical stuff and I like the artistic stuff, but that's important for kids to read. It's if you're a parent, man, the, if you only do one Understand, thing for yeah. your kids, have them read anything that they like. That's super important. Uh, it's true that nowadays kids like, unfortunately, I mean, like it's a blessing to have technology for some reasons, Yeah. but unfortunately it's really, doesn't let kids to, to be out even to play. Like they right. spend their day in right. front of that screen. So I have a friend who told me, like, if you want to punish a kid and who wants to watch TV, just put in mute and put the subtitles so they will have to read. <laughs> it's a good that one, right? Is G- <laughs> <laughs> or on TikTok, yeah, turn the volume off and just have the subtitles. On exactly. So they have to read about it at least. <laughs> but that it's is funny. That- <laughs> we have funny. to like, like really encourage the kids to read because like they yeah. have everything so easy. Whenever I talk about a book, did they do a movie about it? <laughs> you know, like that's the right. first question. It's funny. I have one. I have. Yeah. Anyway, so, you know, some kids are readers. Some kids aren't. I'm reading um, The Great Gatsby right now. Um, my daughter is an English major and she I just read of Mice and Men. Uh, and it's fun to read actual literature, classic literature. Normally I would read like technicals. I'm reading a book about finance because I'm doing a startup business and that's, yeah. that's not like literature. So some, it's fun to read fiction where you have to think about characters and stuff like that. No, it's true. So Terry question. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that our listeners can find you on your podcast yeah. down to earth with Terry words, but otherwise how they can follow you. I mean, after like <laughs> criticizing social media, <laughs> but yeah, they can yeah, have yeah. access so, to your uh, website talks. Tell us a bit how they can find you. So I have a website called terryverts.com. Uh, I have the podcast down to earth with Terry Verts. And I'm on Twitter at Astro Terry and Instagram is Astro underscore Terry. Uh, so I try and tweet about fun things about what's going on in space or um, kind of random things. I, I kind of <laughs> made fun of uh, Instagram and Facebook for going down last couple of weeks ago. I have a social media person who does it. She's amazing. <laughs> She's awesome. And, and this thing got like a million and a half I know. I saw that. It was huge. <laughs> so funny. People, people love making fun of Instagram and Facebook. So that was funny. Yeah. But I mean, it's true that like it shut down for four, four hours or six yeah. hours and people were like frozen. Like they didn't know how to communicate anymore. <laughs> I, I know it was, it was, it was kind of funny. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was what it was. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So Terry, thank you so much for being my guest. And I say, say yes, be happy. You say, don't say no. Exactly. So I guess like our messages are aligned and we're, we're trying to spread positivity and reality yeah. into, into this world. Yeah. I hope we will follow up and uh, I hope to have you again on my show soon <laughs> with yeah, new projects. Course. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. And I see you next Tuesday, live as usual at 12 noon Eastern time and 9 a.m. Pacific time. Bye everyone and have a great week. Thank you for listening to Say Yes, Be Happy. Please join Natalie Botros for another show next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listen to this program again or any of our past episodes on demand and on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, keep saying yes and find your happiness.